Welcome to the Black Agenda Podcast. I'm your co-host, Adrian Guest, along with my co-host, Devin Dito. Listeners, we are back at it. This is the start of season five. It's Juneteenth, which is another big deal. Juneteenth celebrates the awareness of freedom that was brought to the enslaved in Texas, but it also celebrates for us the start and the founding of the Black Agenda podcast. So it's a really, really fun time for us. And today's conversation is really meaningful. Um, we're discussing the American Psychology Association's apology for their part in systemic racism. We actually reported on this story in August of 2021, excuse me, in October of 2021 when it happened during our weekly roundup. But today we're actually joined by Dr. Vanessa Hintz from APA to actually dive off into this and figure out what's going on. So before we get too far in it, let's give you some information on Dr. Hintz here. As I said, Dr. Vanessa Hintz, she is a licensed clinical psychologist who currently serves as a senior director of equity, diversity, and inclusion engagement and outreach for the American Psychological Association. Dr. Hintz is also a self-proclaimed psych geek, incorporating elements of popular culture into her work when beneficial. Dr. Hintz has engaged with practitioners and scholars across the field of utilizing expertise in psychology and human behavior to provide insights focused on principles of equity, diversity, and inclusion. So as always, listeners, we bring you amazing guests, amazing topics. And Dr. Hintz, we appreciate you being with us today. Thank you so much. I'm very glad to be here and excited for this conversation. Very excited. We are too. It's uh, I guess since we reported on it in October 2021, we can say it's a long time coming. <laughs> so we'll start off, uh, listeners, with our first segment here. The first segment is to kind of talk about why the apology. That's what that's what the theme of this is, listeners. So, uh, Vanessa, the first question kind of frames around that. Um, the APA not only apologized for its role in perpetrating systemic racism, but for the role of psychology as the field of study. Um, I thought this was an interesting uh, take on it. I guess, you know, an institution apologizing for the whole broad scope of psychology. Um, I don't think I've ever seen that with any other industry or organization apologizing on behalf of the entire field of study. So why, why is it so important for APA to apologize on behalf of the entire field of psychology? That's a great, that's a great question. And I think that, um, you know, APA is an organization sort of rooted in psychological science whose mission is to benefit society and improve people's lives. Obviously, being complicit in racism, it was the, the that was not happening, right? And so I think that um, APA also understands its sort of unique positioning in the field of psychology as a national organization um, that puts forth research and science and all of these different things. And so um, I think that it, for me, um, I think without sort of acknowledging what the field did even outside of sort of the borders of APA would be remiss. Um, and I also think it would it would be sort of, um, I don't want to say disingenuine, but I can't think of a different word to not acknowledge, again, the influence and the power that the association, the American Psychological Association has within the field. Um, and so that that's sort of where my thinking is around that. I would also say that um, undoubtedly, 
what APA does influences the field at large and vice versa. And so I think sort of to have an apology that um, elevates harms both by the association and by the field at large, it's sort of just, you know, it, it makes sense and it doesn't leave, it doesn't leave stuff out, so to speak. You know what I'm saying? No, absolutely. I mean, it's it's something like, again, like Adrian said, we haven't seen this before. Like we've seen, we have seen organizations like newspapers apologize for their role in printing stories and skewing the coverage to make uh, African-Americans and Black people look bad and look, you know, like they were a threat to society. And what the APA is saying in, in its apology was that the field of psychology, the entire field was no different. Mm-hmm. They were doing some of the same things, um, you know, putting out really junk science about Black people mm-hmm. to make it feel as though we were somehow inferior yeah. and and saying that white people were the superior group, they were smarter and putting out these theories that, you know, black people hadn't quite developed mm-hmm. or evolved enough. Mm-hmm. Like we weren't, we were somehow subhuman. Mm-hmm. That was the science. Mm-hmm. That was early, early. We're talking well, before the 1900s. That, those were the theories being put out by people who call themselves psychologists and the experts in the mm-hmm. field. So you got to think a lot of that stuff seeped into things that were taught in school mm-hmm. and what we went on to believe was true about black mm-hmm. people. And we're still fighting some of those same sorts of rumors and theories and, and, and things like that. So I guess the second question though, is that despite all of the, the work that has been done to kind of combat these theories, um, people still deny the effects of racism on, on our people here in the country. And I, and our history has seen us be deemed inferior to the rest of the population, mm-hmm. even though that's not been true. We've proven that false time and time mm-hmm. again, yet mm-hmm. it still happens. Mm-hmm. Uh, But in the resolution from the APA, it mentions that the early history of psychology was rooted in this sort of oppressive psychological science that was really brought about to protect whiteness, white Mm -hmm. people, and and white uh, epistemologies. Mm -hmm. And so it's a a bold claim for the APA to kind of step out and say, okay, look, we're not just going to apologize for our Mm -hmm. role. We're going to say the whole field is wrong for what Mm -hmm. they did. Like everybody, Mm -hmm. all of you standing behind us, people working, (laughs) like... Mm -hmm. I mean, that's just something you just don't see. So I guess, you know, some people may be saying, okay, we see the APA's apology. How was this psychology used to protect whiteness, which directly impacted America? So I guess that's the question Mm -hmm. is, how was psychology, just from your work that you've seen there at the APA, your time at the APA, how has psychology been used to protect whiteness? Mm -hmm. And how has that directly impacted how Black people are treated and viewed Mm -hmm here in this country. Mm, mm, mm. Yes. So I think one thing that that I think it's it's important to remember is that science even, we, we like to think of science as this like objective truth that we have to go out and discover. And it's like out there and we just got to go with our little magnifying glass and we got to find it. Um, no, <laughs> science exists and it and is sort of developed and reported and communicated within a specific context. And we know that the context of America is one rooted in whiteness and and is inherently mm-hmm. racist and is one that um, elevates and values the majority's ideals, values, and and by majority I mean white people, right? And so, psychology to pretend like we can we we were not a part of that is a mess. You know what I'm saying? And that's why I think you know APA again chose to do to do what it did. And so. 
Um, you think of, I think of one, you know, one specific example of the way that um, psychology, psychological science was used and continues to be used to sort of uh, further harm communities of color. I think about intelligence testing, right? So um, intelligence tests are used for so many different things. Like if we want to give people, you know, give students an IEP, give them whatever, like there's all these very um, intense decisions that are made based on psychological assessment, intelligence testing being one. Intelligence tests were not normed on communities of color. So the data that we have, like this is an IQ, that means this, da, 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 da. Those were developed using white middle-class folk. And so to say that because it's true for this group of people, it's true for all people, one is no, and two is harmful because again, we see that black and brown children in schools are have so much more to deal with, right? And some of that is rooted in sort of the way that some of that is rooted in the way that they are um, disciplined. And, and, and we could talk about that as a whole different conversation. But then you think about sort of cognitively and the way that that, that black and brown children are, um, you know, the way that their intelligence is sort of assessed that was a harm and that was a harm then and it continues to be a harm now you know what i'm saying and so um that's just one of many examples but i think that um in addition one more example i think psychology <laughs> i don't want to speak on the whole field because i don't want to i don't want to generalize it like that i think that psychological science as it's sort of presented in the in the united states has not done enough to communicate the long lasting effects of racism, which continues to be harmful. Racism is a public health issue. And I feel like the space of public health, they've been on it. You know what I'm saying? They've been on it with the work and the research. I feel like mainstream American psychology has been lagging behind. So that in itself is also harmful. Um, for example, I'm sorry, I, I promise that this will be my last example. No, you're fine. Dr. Mm, Dr. Dr. <laughs> Dr. Tama Bryant, she is the incoming president of the APA. Dr. Tama Bryant, trauma expert. Um, racial trauma is the only trauma that we talk about in the psychological space as being perceived. So if you say that you experience racism, you perceive that. Not like it's something that exists, but it. you think that it's happening? And it's causing a trauma. No other type of trauma is discussed in that way. Another way that psychology, and I think the field of mental health broadly, is harming communities of color by continuing to sort of perpetuate perceived racial trauma as if it is something that I have manifested. It's not something that, you know what I'm saying? So I think, yeah. again, another way. That's powerful, actually. You know, to it's it's almost like, you know, saying that it's, it's almost discrediting what we're going through. It's almost saying that, you know, we don't, you know, we're, that's just our perception that it's not reality. We're just imagining uh, the imbalance in society between us and, you know, white Americans and things like that. Um, but no, that is the case. So we've, <laughs> we've talked about that in many instances from prison to wealth mm -hmm. to homeownership. I mean, the list mm -hmm. goes on and on and on where we could talk about the different divides. So that's a, I, I like how you mentioned that. Um, that's, I, that's, that's something that we should dive off into, but, um, what we're going to do, um, 
And Devin, did you, I, I saw that you put a, a note here. Did you want to make a comment on that? No, that, I think that was probably for after the show, but it was just a note. You said something about um, disciplining your children. Mm-hmm. I don't know exactly where you were mm-hmm. going with mm-hmm. that. I just, but I, it just made me think about this movement that we're having now where people are having the discussions mm-hmm. about um, whether you should whip your children if, mm-hmm. and if what does that do to them mentally mm-hmm. and things mm-hmm. like that. And we're, so that's like mm-hmm. a whole movement to sort of get rid mm-hmm. of that. So I didn't know if that's where you were going or was mm-hmm. it school discipline or whatnot, but that's, that's the only note. Mm-hmm. I just, it's kind of like, okay, discipline. Mm-hmm. We, well, that's something we don't like to talk mm-hmm. about mm-hmm. in our community because we have one way of doing it, which mm-hmm. is the old, what we all call the old fashioned way. Yeah. Um, and some people think that that's outdated. I definitely, that's a conversation for a different day, but I definitely do. Um, but I, what I was specifically referring to is like exclusionary, like disciplinary practices that yeah. lead kids out of school into the school to prison pipeline. Like all of that is mm-hmm. rooted in racism and is not, and again, there are people in, in the space of psychology that talk about and elevate these issues. The issue is that those are not dominant voices, and the issue is that those voices are devalued because typically those are voices of people of color who are also not elevated. You know what I'm saying? So there's just this yeah. cycle, and I think, um, you know, with APA's apology and the work that we're doing to really um, build out this sort of strategy and plan to to work to tackle some of these issues, that is one of the one of the sort of things that cuts across is elevating voices that have been historically silenced. This none of this that APA is saying is a new notion. None of it at all. And I think to to claim otherwise, none of it is new, right? And so I think that um, again, understanding how we have to name these things so that we can move forward. But yes, elevating elevating voices that have been saying this since forever that this is an issue. You know what I'm saying? No, you're you're right. Uh, you might be muted, Asian. Uh, <laughs> no, you're fine. I was just going to say, we know exactly what you're saying because since the start of our podcast, we've been reiterating some of the same things each season over and over, just hoping that they'll eventually sink into uh, white Americans and others uh, to figure out what's going on. But what we'll do, listeners, we're going to give you your first break for season five. When we come back, we're going to get into our second segment here where we talk a little bit more about what institutional racism looks like. So make sure you stick with us. We'll be right back. You've been listening to the Black Agenda podcast. If you're enjoying the show, let us know. Before you go, leave a review on Apple Podcasts or Spotify. Give a few dollars while you're at it. After all, the Black Agenda podcast is supported by listeners like you. So sit back and listen well as we get back into the show. In our second segment, listeners, we wanted to highlight, like I said before the break, how does institutional racism work? And to kind of frame this, Vanessa, um, one of the resolutions from the apology speaks about the practices of psychologists that have been used to disadvantage many communities of color. Um, It talks a lot about the lack of culturally appropriate diagnostic criteria to characterize the lived experiences and mental health concerns of people of color. And we kind of talked a little bit about that a little, you know, towards the end. And it almost sounds like people of color have not only been traumatized, but it's almost like we've been almost, you know, either denied or ignored the proper services that we need. And when you think about that, 
I guess the obliviousness of people to ignore that problem. And you think about it from a generational standpoint to a generation to another generation. Can you talk to us about, you know, how that effect maybe compounds and looks like throughout the course of a person's mental health? Mm, mm, yes, I can. And so um, w- one thing I would say, which I think will give us a frame with which to talk about this is that, you know, racism and the way that, you know, many people understand it, including, you know, the APA exists on these sort of different levels. We have the internalized, interpersonal, institutional, and systemic. And so if you think about that racism, if we think about racism in the context of one's mental health, we can think about it along all of those various levels. So internalized. Dr. Dr. Cross, if you all are unfamiliar, Dr. Cross has a model of Black identity development, the Cross model of nigrescence. And he talks about how basically in one's process of becoming Black, we basically have to figure out how we... Re- we figure out how we relate to whiteness. And sometimes initially we don't know how steeped we are in majority values in sometimes we can be steeped in those in so much that we have internalized racism. Like I don't like myself because I don't look like what society tells me I should look like, or because my hair is this, or because my skin is this. So that's like internalized racism. And when you think about how that, because Dr. Cross is, is a psychologist, when you think about how that impacts your well-being, to be looking and not appreciating, loving the skin that you're in and knowing that there's nothing that you can do to change it, every day, that is a battle that some people face. Um, the positive to get to give people some hope about that research shows us that positive racial socialization can mitigate those negative effects. So if you have surround yourself with people, family, anyone who basically elevates you and tells you that your black is beautiful, you know, all these different things, we can mitigate some of those things. So that's sort of like on an in, internalized level. When we think interpersonally, that's exactly what it sounds like person to person within relationships. Now, specifically the way this looks in, in the mental health space. So specifically, we're talking about like the counseling and therapy space. Um, I read a study once, and this this will stick to me forever and ever. I'm a clinical psychologist by training. So before I joined APA, I was a practitioner. I maintained a private practice. I primarily saw Black people who wanted a Black therapist. Um, and I read a study once that said people of color admitted that when they go see their therapist, they're always they're microaggressed in every session. And basically anywhere from half to 80% of people that were surveyed said, yep, my therapist microaggresses me at least once. And if you think about that in the context of therapy, therapy is a safe, is supposed to be a safe space, a space where you can open yourself and be vulnerable. And if you do that and then your therapist says something wild about, you know what I'm saying, something very microaggressive, how does that at all invite you to open up and do what you need to do in therapy to help your, do you know what I'm saying? To like um, better yourself, your mental health and wellness. And so um, that can show up in that way interpersonally and affect us sort of like our, our mental health. And then when you think about institutional and systemic racism, again, I think those types of larger structural barriers can lend themselves to what we call learned helplessness. So why would I try to get ahead? The world doesn't want me to get ahead. 
So instead of me going to school and doing all of this where the teachers are just going to treat me this way and it's going to be a mess, I'm not about to do all of that. I'm about to go over here with these people who care about me and maybe we're getting into some other stuff. Maybe I'm not going to school, but you know what? At least I know that I'm not being treated. I'm not treat, being treated negatively by, by white people. You know what I'm saying? And so that across the lifespan and at so many different levels, racism affects our mental health in a negative way. You know what I'm saying? Absolutely. We know what you're saying. And I, and I love the fact that you broke it down by those different levels, understanding that there is a scientific, you know, thesis, that there's work that's been done to prove these things. This is, we're not just pulling this out the air. And I'm glad you kept saying, uh, I forgot the name of the person you were naming, but they are a, psycho- mm-hmm. a psychologist. Like they're not just Joe Schmo off the street mm-hmm. who just wrote this down and said, this is the four levels of racism mm-hmm. and, and how you come up with, you know, your black identity. There's, this is real work. And it's just as valuable and just as trustworthy as the rest of the other stuff that we believe mm-hmm. that comes from uh, institutions like the APA. But, uh, but our next question kind of goes a little bit back to our first segment where we talked about some of those um, examples. And one of the things that stood out when the APA decided to put out this apology was that it actually created a chronological history mm-hmm. of racism in the field of psychology, which I think above and beyond whether they do anything else, this will stand out to me just because you get concrete evidence. You cannot say, oh, well, it didn't happen. We don't know if that happened. Mm-hmm. We weren't there when it happened. The APA kind of really came with the receipts mm-hmm. in this sense where they said, okay, we're going to go all the mm-hmm. way back to the very beginning of the field in the 1800s. And we're going to show mm-hmm. you year by year, instance by instance, where racism was perpetrated by folks who called themselves psychologists mm-hmm. and said they were experts in the field of psychology. And I, and I point this out to say we've on the show have tried to point out instances where black Americans were made to look, you know, less human or even primate like. And so we were often labeled as a race of people that just hadn't evolved. And so the question is why was it so important for the APA to come out and show this chronological history of racism because they didn't have to do mm-hmm. this. They could have just simply put out an apology and let that mm-hmm. be it. But why was it important enough to actually go back mm-hmm. and pull examples of racism in the field of psychology? It, it Yes. And you mentioned receipts and there were so many more we could have pulled. You know what I'm saying? Like that document could have been a whole dissertation in itself, a whole book. Um, and, and to be quite honest, when I read that for the first time, I had to read it in sections. Um, because it just, as a psychologist, mm. it hit it hit a little bit different that, you know, this field that is, is, is a part of my life and it, in some ways a part of my identity, it was a lot. It, it's a lot. So anybody who reads it, just know it's a lot. Um, but what I would say is, is that, you know, we had this this sort of um, guide in this work that we were doing as we we were putting together the apology and as we we continue to do work now um and that that one of those guiding foundational documents is called the warrior's path report um and it was developed by division 45 of the apa which is the psychological study of race ethnicity and culture it was developed by a group of scholars um, out of that division um but what this warrior's path report outlines are three components of an apology. If you want to apologize and if you want to apologize for real and not for fake and not be performative, if you want to apologize <laughs> with integrity, you need to do three things. One is you need to acknowledge what what you did. So APA saying like, we're sorry for being complicit in racism. 
what does that mean? What did you do? Like, tell me what you, you know how your mom used to say that? Tell me what you did. You know what I'm saying? That's, <laughs> it, that's essentially what was happening. Tell me what you did. Mm-hmm. Um, own that. You know what I'm saying? And say it with your chest what you did. Um, the second component of an apology is acknowledging the impact of that. So what did you do? And who was harmed? You know what I'm saying? What was it? And what what did that then lead to? And then the last component of a, an apology, which is the phase of work that we're in now, what are you going to do to make sure that never happens again? What are you going to make sure? What are you going to do to make sure your behavior is different? And so for us, the chronology was the, the first sort of two components of that apology. What What happened and who did it hurt? You know what I'm saying? Yeah, I wish we could get that to like be a common way of apologizing throughout society. Um, you know, we, we always get these politicians who say these apologies and things like that, and they definitely don't have two of the three of those components mm-hmm. of the three-step process to give an apology. So um, I'm glad that you all, it's just such an educational way to think about how to apologize. And, that's, and it's great because um, I really... It for me, it meant more because it wasn't just I'm sorry. Um, you know, we're gonna try to be better. It was, you know, I'm sorry. Here's what we did, and here's what we're gonna do to fix those things. It was, it was structure to it, and that was really, really exciting to, mm-hmm. to um, kind of have that. Um, and my bad, Devin. I saw you. I, no, go ahead. I just wanted to make sure. I just wanted to make sure we put out there for the listeners to make sure you go and read it. Google APA historical chronology, and you literally will read through, starting in the 1800s onward, instances of racism in the field of psychology. I pressure everybody listening, go read it. I haven't, I read through some of it. It's a lot. Mm -hmm. You are correct. (laughs) It's a lot. You're not going to finish it in one day, but I, Everybody should go read that because it is instance by instance. And I'm a co-sign that. They got all right? the receipts. And say, read, that, read the Warrior's <laughs> Path Report. It is free. It is available to everyone. And I definitely think it can help us all to the point that you made. Um, be more intentional about not just apologies, but intentional about our language, intentional about mm-hmm. what we doing. You know what I'm saying? So I definitely yeah read all the things because they all free online for you to read. Read all the That's right. I actually I went to the uh, Midwest APA convention in uh, Chicago a couple of months ago, and it was very fascinating. A uh, lot, a lot of interesting uh, uh, concepts. So, listeners, psychology is really fun. Um, I, I know some of y'all probably studied it during undergrad and remember that, but it is truly a fun um, discipline. So go check those things out. But what we're going to do, we're going to give you another break. and We're going to come back in a third segment and we're going to talk about, you know, some, uh, some of the, the high, I guess not the highlights, but the good news out of this, what can institutions do to actually help now that, you know, this is kind of the third step of this apology process. So make sure you stick with us. We'll be right back. Veins. I've been driving this train Years in this lane, there's no stopping this flame Cause I came to the game and I changed it to play How I like rearranged it to my own domain Yeah, I got what it takes Made lots of mistakes Taking shots, skipping breaks Feeling lost, feeling great Popping off, singing straight Never stop, never changed All the squad here to play And I've got something to say, yeah Alright, welcome back listeners So we are continuing a great conversation 
uh, with Dr. Vanessa Hentz. She's the Senior Director of Equity, Diversity, and Inclusion uh, at the APA. And so, uh, Vanessa, we've talked a lot about what's been done by the APA and how they've apologized uh, better than we've seen any organization really uh, in history. So Mm -hmm. kudos for that. But this kind of Mm -hmm. this third segment, of course, is more about what can we do to help? So the, the third part of your apology is how are we going to ensure that this doesn't happen again? And so when the APA announced this apology, it also announced another resolution mm-hmm. that kind of describes the work that the APA and the field of psychology must do to dismantle racism mm-hmm. in society. And AP really, APA really wanted to ensure that this, you know, wasn't just a, all right, we're going to put out the apology and that's, that's it, we're going to go back home. But because that's what we expect. <laughs> Honestly, that's what most people expected. But as we know, in this current climate, Although APA did say that they are apologizing on behalf of the field of psychology, you have to imagine that there are people in the field of psychology who did not appreciate that, who would rather APA just say, you leave it to yourself to apologize and don't apologize for me too. And I'm sure there are people who don't agree necessarily that the, you know, the field of psychology played a role in racism. So I guess, you know, not to have you speak, speak on the whole, you know, on behalf of the entire field, but what do you think? the APA and, and just the field itself, where do you think it is as far as trying to help dismantle racism that we see in society and coming to terms with the harm that's been done to the, our community by the field of psychology and by the APA? Where do, just, where do, you, where do you feel the, the field is right now? That's a great question. And one thing I'll sort of say to, to start is that, you know, psychology is a field made up of individuals, of human beings, and human beings have individual worldviews. Human beings have all these different factors, um, particularly related to our identities, how we see ourselves, how we see ourselves as racial beings in comparison to others. All of that, I think, is going to influence how people uh, feel about the apology. And um, one thing I will say is, you know, um, APA and APA leadership, um, we have been very intentional about all of this, right? You, you mentioned um, is very thorough, right? There were all these different steps mm-hmm. and there are all these different pieces. And even now, as we're building out the action plan, it is very intentional. And I think that like most um, issues, there are going to be people on on all sides of the spectrum, either you doing too much or you're not doing enough and everywhere in between. And I will just speak very transparently. I'm a black, young, millennial psychologist. And sometimes I do feel like um, we, we go, what, what are we doing? You know what I'm saying? And I understand that it's, I, I understand where that comes from. I understand that I am a black person who went through psychology training and was harmed in many in many ways during that journey, and continues to be harmed in certain spaces, um, you know, in the field. And I understand that, and so I understand that that is where some of my vitriol comes in. I understand that I'm a Taurus. I understand that I'm I'm a young person who's like, ah, you know, what I'm saying like always ready. Um, and so I think that when we we think about the the reactions and the responses, I think that we try very hard to remember the dignity of all people. However somebody feels, they feel that way because of their individual situation, their worldview. You know what I'm saying? And we can simultaneously honor that and say we still gonna do what we're doing though because we feel like it's it's what we should be doing. And I think with 
you know, for me, I transitioned to APA from the world of, you know, EDI consulting, where there wasn't this sort of attention given to what what members or other psychologists think, because I'm just out here doing what I'm doing with these different organizations, right? Mm-hmm. And I think doing this work at APA, there is an attention and a um, value placed on what people think. And, you know, there is also a sort of recognition that this is what we need to be doing right now. And so we work constantly to balance those things. And I think that, um, depending on the day of the week and depending on who you ask, like people are in different, in different spaces with regard to how they feel about the apology. And uh, I think APA, we understand that and Dr. Evans, our CEO, he always talks about this as a shared responsibility across the field. And so um, it takes everyone, even APA in itself is not powerful enough. And so how can we continue to meet people where they are and have these conversations so that we can get to a place where we're all sort of moving in one direction um, to, to dismantle systemic racism, because that's what it's going to take. It's going to take all of us across the field. It's going to take at all of those various levels that I talked about. It's, it's going to take a lot, you know what I'm saying, to make the type of change that transforms systems and is not just momentary. Man, that's... Yeah, I mean, it, it highlights what you said, highlights the, the challenge, but also the work that APA is doing. I love the fact that you're saying, yes, we give value to those who have their opinions, who may feel a certain way about what we're doing, but we also understand this is what we got to do. Mm-hmm. So it's kind of like we hear you, but we're going to do it anyway, mm-hmm. and we're going to try to rectify some of these wrongs. Mm-hmm. But one other follow-up question I have for you, just thinking about that historical chronology, right? And all the different examples, endless amount of examples of racism in the field of psychology. Do you think there is a connection between those wrongs, obviously in the field of psychology and the way that the black community has always felt or perceived anyone in the mental health field? There's always been a sort of skepticism about therapy or getting or going to therapy or it's almost like a secondhand embarrassment, like, oh, you have a therapist, there's something wrong with you, you must be crazy. Like, mm-hmm. do you think some of those feelings that a lot of us have about going to the therapist and seeking mental health services is connected to the wrongs that we've kind of been the victim of at the hands of so many people in the field of psychology? Mm-hmm. 100%, absolutely. And I think that, you know, what you're alluding to is sort of like the intergenerational nature of racial trauma. And, you know, um, I read a study once and I'll never forget this quote. It said uh, it was talking about mental health in the black community and the sort of um, disparity between the rate at which black people seek therapy versus their white counterparts. And one thing that we see in the black community is that if I'm in a family and nobody in my family has ever gone to therapy, why would I think that that's valuable? So the sort of lack of of people using like therapy sort of underscores and and sort of validates that it's you don't need that you have jesus you have me you have whatever and not to say that those things are not healing because they absolutely 100 are they are 100 and i think therapy is just another tool in the toolbox you know what i'm saying however um because of stigma and again because of we we always say you have to see it to be it and if i've never seen anyone who has had a successful experience in therapy 
why would I think that that's the case? And that is one thing that I will absolutely elevate and I think is amazing about social media influencers because I think there is sort of like a proliferation of information around like you don't have to, that that is reducing the stigma of mental health in the black community. Mm-hmm. I think what you all are doing in elevating, you know, topics like this is reducing the stigma. And I think, again, that's sort of like a transformational change that, that we want to see. But absolutely, I think that that is is in that has been influenced by what our parents, our grandparents, our great great grandparents experienced um, at the hands of the system. Mental health is seen as an arm of the system, and we know systemically the system ain't kind to black folks. And so, why would I go? You just you're just a part of that system. And again, the way that the system is set up, I mean, it's not always kind to people of color, people of lower socioeconomic status, people who have any sort of marginalized identity, the system is ready to over to diagnose you in some way. The system ain't trying to pay for your services, all these different things. And so I think what has happened in the past and what continues to be sort of proliferated because of systemic racism absolutely has everything to do with why Black people may be hesitant to, to engage in, in counseling or therapy services. You're right. I, I really liked what you talked about when you mentioned religion, because I was a youth pastor um, and, you know, everyone's always like, if you're going to pray, don't worry. You know, that kind of thing. It's like you have to give it over to Jesus. And like I said, I'm very man of high faith, so I'm not mocking that. But we actually reported on, I think it was some pastors out of Dallas or somewhere where they were talking about how they were being overwhelmed by dealing with their congregation's mental health issues. They're like, you know, we're not, we're not trained to deal with this. You know, we're, we're trained to deal with your spiritual needs, which sometimes that can, you know, overlap your mental health, but that's not the same. There's, there's different skill sets for that. So um, that was, that's a really um, great perspective there. Um, My question to kind of round us off in this segment, Vanessa you know, to kind of help to heal the issues that have been embedded into our society, you know, APA has really started to prioritize different efforts uh, to help to put out knowledge and scholarship and training and open pathways and workforce development. Um, the list goes on and on of different things that you all are trying to do to help to eradicate racism and to help cut down some of the things that psychology has done to uh, uh, marginalized communities over the past several decades. But, you know, whenever I think about, you know, dismantling racism, you know, it's not just psychology. There's a lot of different institutions and organizations. It's, it's got to be an all hands on deck kind of, you know, uh, a front. Um, so what what sort of information or, you know, I don't know, propaganda or, you know, any sort of incentive that APA might be putting out to other institutions who have had some sort of role in racism like APA has have, what are some of those sorts of ways that we can get other institutions to do some of these corrective measures that APA is doing? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah, and, and I don't like to use the word model. I don't like the what, what that implies. Um, I do think that APA is providing an example of how you can do this, right? And so I think that that, and APA and Dr. Evans, the CEO, has been very clear about like, we trying to get our house in order before we try to tell anybody else what they need to be doing. Like, y'all need to be out here doing it. Let's let's get it together before we do that. Um, And 
understanding that, you know, psychology as a discipline, I think you mentioned it earlier, like psychology is fun. It is also the discipline of human feeling, thought, behavior, right? And so we understand that racism, like any, all other isms are rooted in human valuing, are rooted in psychology. And so our discipline, if we can get it together, has a lot to offer to the space of promoting equity and diversity and inclusion sort of societally. And so I do think that, um, again, uh, before we do that, though, we have to acknowledge that some of this science that we are, that has been perpetuated, like we see in the chronology, is the opposite of what we're, we're, we're intending, right? So how can we simultaneously get APA, you know, as an organization together, as a member association, um, get our science sort of like in a way where we're acknowledging and, and atoning and changing some of these sort of problematic ways that science has been communicated, research has been conducted, all these different things. Um, so I do think that psychology broadly and APA being sort of like a champion, um, a developer of psychological science will be able to offer things to the space of equity, diversity, and inclusion broadly um, because of the very nature of what we do. Um, and so I think that it's just important to underscore before we do any of that, let's get let's get it together. And let's, again, like we, we have a framework um, with which we sort of um, conceptualize our EDI work. And that framework has three different, call them ecological levels. APA at the center of it, the field of psychology and society. So you think about that as concentric circles. Um, and there's this understanding that there is a bi-directional influence between all of those levels. So undoubtedly what we do at the association level will influence the field, will influence society and vice versa. A lot of the work around the development of the apology started in the summer of 2020. And we all know what happened in the summer of 2020. So that's an example of sort of like a societal event having a sort of directional influence on APA. And now we sort of have this bi-directional thing. And so to return to your question, I think that, again, psychology as a discipline um, has a lot to offer. Um, and there are things right now um, that, that sort of people, again, who have been doing this work over time um, have been able to offer organizationally in terms of how to make your space is more equitable and inclusive. Um, and I think that there will be more to come. You know, I think what you're talking about is so important. I, I heard a podcast interview talk about diversity, equity, and inclusion, and how a lot of organizations who are trying to incorporate those or programs like that into their organizations, um, they're, they're failing. They're not doing it in a great way. They're actually um, creating more hostility amongst uh, coworkers whenever they're in, in, you know trying to uh, incorporate those principles, and it could be because they're not you know starting with the basics uh, to just create um, you know an acceptance with each other and an understanding before you actually start to try to build upon that. So um, some really great elements here, Vanessa. But before we let you go, we got to do our final message. So listeners, we are almost out of here, but make sure you stick with us. We'll be right back.
All right, listeners, welcome back. We are at the end, our first final message of season five. Remember, we're joined today by Dr. Vanessa Hentz, Senior Director of Equity, Diversity, and Inclusion for APA. And to kind of phrase your final message, Vanessa, transparency is key towards you know anybody who wants to have a healthy relationship. Um, and we've talked a little bit about the transparency that APA has done to, you know, you know, have a chronological um, um, order of what has actually happened in the past and also have resolutions to say what we're going to do to prevent these things from ever happening again. But we know that there's going to be some people who might have some doubts or some naysayers. Uh, and we want to really encourage our community, the black community, to maybe give psychology a second chance, maybe to not be someone to deny the power of just talking to someone about their issues. So to kind of, you know, uh, you know, heal that that divide and, you know, create another bridge there, Vanessa, how do we get people of color to see that APA actually means business with these resolutions and to work with the field of psychology to treat our trauma that we have due to race and uh, discrimination? Mm, mm, mm. I think one thing I would invite folks to do is continue to to call us up. Um, I think that call us up to the task to, I don't want to say call out, call up. Like I'm elevating you. I, I want this. And so I'm going to call you up. You said all of this APA. Now what y'all about to do? I, we appreciate that. We appreciate the calling up because again, um, we have seen historically somebody said something and then it kind of went away. You know what I'm saying? And I think similarly to the field of psychology um, and therapy in general, call your providers up. If you go into a space and you don't feel comfortable, it's not a vibe. I say give them maybe one more opportunity and then you know what, on to the next. There are plenty of therapists out here that you are able to date them, shop around and find someone who you can connect with because there are people out here that one, understand the struggle because they experience it themselves in some way or what have you. And so there are people out here that are basically, that's their gift. That's their ministry is to be there to hold that space for you to process through this very real trauma, this very real grief that we experience being Black in America. And so I just invite everyone to, again, extend grace and be patient with yourself. If you go to a therapist, if you go to a psychologist and it's not a vibe, it's not your fault. It's not because of you, right? It's just not a fit. It's like these puzzle pieces don't fit together. And those pieces need to fit together for you to experience the, I don't like the term positive, to experience the benefits of, of, of psychology and of therapy. And so, again, I would just ask that everyone sort of simultaneously extend that grace and also continue to call people up. We can do both at the same time. We, we, we are dope enough to do that. We can do both at the same time. I'm going to simultaneously meet you where you are and also call you up to do all of these amazing things that you said you were going to do. So do that to the APA, do that to the field of psychology, do that to your mama, do that to the counselors, do that to everyone so that we can continue to, again, just elevate one another. Exactly. I mean, at the end of the day, the goal is to apologize for the wrongs, but but more importantly, ensure it doesn't happen again. And that we get, we elevate those those voices, those people, and put them in positions to ensure that it doesn't happen again, but also that we can do the work to right some of those wrongs while we still have the opportunity to do so. Mm-hmm. And so that's, 
a part of extending that grace is understanding it's not going to change overnight. Mm-hmm. We don't expect the APA and the work that you're doing to all of a sudden, the field of psychology is just going to be rid of people who aren't racist and who don't still believe some of the past discrimin you know, mm-hmm. uh, some of those past stereotypes and bad science and things like that. Those people will still be around. We mm-hmm. will still always have work to do mm-hmm. to counteract some of the messages that are being put out there. Mm-hmm. Um, if you don't believe that, look no further than the school system. Mm-hmm. Like we still see issues with students, black students in particular being misdiagnosed and over, um, you know, overdiagnosed for certain things because they don't behave well in the classroom. Mm-hmm. Those things persist and that's work that we still have to do. Mm-hmm. So you can work against that, but also go to a therapist at yes. the same time. Like those two things can exist in the same world. Yes. And so that's really the message um, that I've gotten, you know, from what you said. And I appreciate, absolutely appreciate your voice and what the APA is doing. Mm-hmm. And I just, I'll say it again, go read the chronological history of the, the racism in the field of psychology, it will blow your mind. And you'll be surprised at some of the stuff that we thought was science mm-hmm. was really just people making stuff up, so you know, just true. making stuff up about us mm-hmm. in particular. Mm-hmm. And so it really will open your eyes to what we have, how we got here. It really makes you appreciate where we are today, but also appreciate how much further we have to go. So I appreciate you, uh, Dr. Hanson, and your voice and what you're doing and just, you know, keep it up. Mm-hmm. Thank you. Thank you so much. I appreciate you all as well. Thank you. Absolutely. It's been a fun conversation, Vanessa. Um, you know, I, I I know we talked a little bit about therapy and mental health and all kinds of things, and that's just kind of dabbling in the surface of what psychology is all about. Um, it goes so much more than that. Um, and it has a lot of things that we can pull apart um, and figure things out. I mean, my undergrad is in economics and, you know, I think a lot about behavioral economics and how psychology ties into that. And there's a lot that can go into our policies uh, if we can pull some of these practices out of psychology uh, and better create systems of equity and inclusion for people. So mm-hmm. listeners, I hope that you were able to get something out of this um, because it was not only a, a bold step from APA to do this, um, but it's something that we need in our society. We need this amongst any institution that has had negative impacts on our community. And we hope that we can see more people follow in the foots of APA. So Vanessa, before we let you go, could you let our listeners know how they can find and follow APA? Yes, www.apa.org. Also on Twitter at APA. Uh, also, if you want to follow me on Twitter at Dr. Vanessa Hintz, I would love to chat with you about any and all things that were discussed here today along all social media, Dr. Vanessa Hintz. Perfect. Perfect. And listeners, we'll make sure that we promote that so you get that. Uh, so if you didn't write it down then, don't worry, you'll see it later. But remember, we have been joined today by Dr. Vanessa Hintz, Senior Director of Equity, Diversity and Inclusion at APA. It has been an awesome conversation, Vanessa. Um, we've enjoyed having you on. Listeners, we're going to give you your last break. When we come back, Devin and I are going to do our ending. So make sure you stick with us so we can give you some insight and what's to store for you for season five. Stick with us. We'll be right back. We absolutely appreciate your support. You are our foundation and our efforts work to better your communities. Tell your family and friends so we can all work together towards progress. You can find us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter using our handle at Black Agenda Pod. Again, at Black Agenda Pod. 
Now, it's time to get back to the show. All right, welcome back, listeners. So let's go ahead and wrap this thing up here and get you out of here. So uh, first up, you can look forward to hearing me and Adrian again this Saturday, June 25th. That'll be the first edition of our weekly roundup series um, during season five. So make sure you tune in this Saturday to get your news dose. That'll be breaking news, funny news, interesting, weird. We kind of cover all the bases. So make sure you tune in this Saturday, June 25th, to hear our first edition of our weekly roundup show. So that'll be coming to you Saturday. Then next month in July, we'll be bringing you another fantastic guest and conversation. So we'll make sure to make sure you tune in during our weekly roundups to hear what's upcoming. Also, make sure you follow us on social media so you can see what's upcoming. So again, our next interview uh, with the guests is going to be next month in July. It's going to be another great topic. It's going to be really, really good. So make sure you tune in for that. Uh, before we go, we also want to let you know how you can donate to us and charity of the month. And Age is going to kind of give you some updates about that and what's what's going on with that. Awesome. Thanks, Devin. As far as donations, listeners, uh, this season, we're going to be doing a lot of social media, a lot of marketing of our patron account. We're working on getting a new logo as far as color scheme. So we're going to be able to have merchandise for you to get as you give to us. You'll be able to give different levels. You'll have a cool little title that you'll have based on the level of donation that you give monthly. It's really, really awesome. It's through our patron account. So like I said, we're going to have a lot of promotion of that. We might even have an article from a journalist talking about patron and what that truly does to help to benefit us uh, with actually being able to bring you great content. The other thing that we like to do is to mention our charity of the month. And remember, you know, we always, you know, we, I guess we've only had two uh, fall seasons, but, you know, June uh, and as well as January, whenever we come back, there's a short month. So we, we always like to wait till we have a full month before we do a charity of the month. So for June, no charity of the month. We only got like, what, eight days left. So we don't want to just uh, shortchange somebody by only promoting them maybe once or twice and giving them eight days. So make sure you be on the lookout for our June charity of the month. If you do need to do a little bit of charitable giving or donations, I mean, it was Juneteenth. So uh, think about that. But yeah, Devin, that's all we got. You know, just everybody's just going to be on the lookout and we're going to do a lot of promotions for our patron account. Hey, that's good to hear. That means they have a lot to look forward to uh, during not only just during season five, but also outside of the podcast. Again, journalist articles are coming. Patron accounts getting up and running. Charity of the month is going to get rolling. So make sure you tune in next month, but also this upcoming Saturday to get the news on that. Uh, before we go, we also want to let you know you can follow us on social media. You can find us on Twitter, Facebook, Instagram. Um, our handle is at Black Agenda Pod. So make sure you follow us there to keep up with keep up with the show when we are not here bringing you the news and talking to you about a different topic. So we want to give another shout out, though, before we go to our great guest today, our Dr. Vanessa Hintz. She was amazing and she was exactly what we needed when we talk about uh, institutional racism and the role of the APA and what they did in issuing an apology, but also taking it a step further and just trying to do the real work to rectify some of their wrongs. So we appreciate Dr. Hintz for coming on the show and the APA for helping to make her available to us. And so just know, listeners, you have a lot more to look forward to like the interview today. So I'm going to stop talking. I'm going to let you go. And we'll be back with you on Saturday for weekly roundup number one. 
And then we'll be back next month with an interview and topic with another great guest. So until then, we'll catch you next time. Thank you.